Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. How many times do you leave here, hop in your car to go home and try to remember what the sermon was about, but can't? Even if you remember it on the ride home, you probably have a hard time remembering it a day or two later. After all, I was the one up here preaching a couple of weeks ago, and I can't really remember what I was preaching about very well. If you remember anything, you probably remember only the main message, maybe the major points. And guess what? That was the same for Jesus' sermons too. It's not because Jesus wasn't an exceptional orator. He was. After all, he was both man and God. But he was talking to folks just like you and me. So his hearers also only heard the big points of his sermons. If you were here yesterday and today, you know that both the gospel yesterday and today covered the Beatitudes that Jesus preached during two of his most prominent sermons. Today we heard Matthew's version, yesterday Luke's. Matthew listed eight, but Luke only four. Perhaps Matthew had a better memory or Luke heard it secondhand, or maybe the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus preached the Beatitudes in Matthew's gospel differed from the Sermon on the Plain where Jesus preached those shared in Luke. Regardless, I don't think either one is everything Jesus said that day. I don't know if you've ever read the Sermon on the Mount out loud, but it's only three short chapters in Matthew, and if that's all there was to it, it would have been a pretty short sermon. It seems doubtful that Jesus would have gathered up a monumental crowd outside of town to deliver a 10-minute speech and send them all home. Furthermore, given how deep each of these statements is, it's hard to imagine you could absorb them if they were coming at you rapid fire one after the other as I just read them uh, for the gospel reading. It's hard to absorb them even when you're reading them slowly to yourself, which I recommend you do this week. So my strong suspicion is that the Beatitudes were merely the outline, the bullet points, or talking points of a longer exposition. It's likely Jesus expanded on each of these as he preached, and this is what the folks remembered in the crowd. Today, I do want to expand some on the Beatitudes because I believe that the fact that they were chosen both for the gospel readings of the vigil yesterday and today for the feast of all saints must be because the church is telling us that they hold the key to becoming a saint. But before I go there, I want to be abundantly clear about something. You are called to be a saint. So pay attention. Yes, this is for you. Being a saint simply means being holy. Holy means set apart. You are set apart from this world because you are called and have chosen a life so integrated with that of Jesus Christ, your Lord, that for all intents and purposes, when someone looks at you, they're supposed to see Jesus. And of course, with Halloween being yesterday, I'm not telling you to grow your hair long, wear a white tunic, and walk around in sandals. What I'm talking about is that they see you, and they see in you, the sacrificial, humble love of Jesus Christ when they interact with you. Or at least they should. I think some Christians, probably some of you, sometimes even myself, 
like to think that, they, that there are saints and then there's the rest of us. But to think that way is to miss the point. You are called to be a saint and to be a Christian means you act like one or at least you're really trying by giving it your all. Because there's no question that saints are sinners too, every one of them. So there aren't saints and the rest of us. They and us are all sinners trying to do our best. And by our best, I mean striving to be saints. Anything else means we aren't living up to our calling as Christians. Being a saint is not about being dead. It's about being alive. The saints aren't dead people we venerate because their life was aligned with Jesus. They are people who we believe are still alive, still interceding for us before God because they joined their life with Christ before their physical death and continue to be sustained by the life of God after that physical death. If you want to be alive in this life and the life to come, you've got to be a saint. I'm sure you heard in what I've just been saying that you need to do something. And that is true. As we dig into the Beatitudes, we're going to be hearing blessed are a lot. Some take that to mean that there are blessed, that these are blessings in the sense to that somehow God, if you're lucky, just gives you the first part and then you get the second part. You're also lucky to get that second part because God gave you the first part, but that's overly simplistic. And likewise, some think the Greek word would better be translated as happy are. But I think that too strongly suggests something emotional rather than a state of action. So if you're one who still holds on to the belief that you're saved by your faith alone, I suggest you take a hard look at these passages, especially that you keep reading in Luke beyond the end of yesterday's lectionary reading. Because immediately following the Beatitudes, there are these parallel woes. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. So does that mean if we're blessed, blessed with a good sense of humor, that we're doomed to mourn and weep in the life to come? Of course not. And does a translation of woe to you who are rich as unhappy are those who are rich ring true? Not to me. Instead, what these woes indicate is that we have control over these parts of our life and therefore have a responsibility to do the right thing. We have to do something. If we are blessed to be rich, for example, then we need to make sacrifices to share that wealth with those in need, for example. In fact, it sounds like we're just getting started on the first of the eight Beatitudes, so let's jump in. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The simpler version in Luke is simply, blessed are you who are poor. And when put with the woe to you who are rich, it sounds like perhaps that one is talking a little bit more about physical wealth than the spiritual wealth of Matthew's version. However, if you've been at Advent for a while, you know that these two are strongly interconnected. If you're poor in spirit, then you are a humble vessel ready to be filled with God's spirit. If you're an empty vessel ready to be filled with God, then you must be unattached to your material stuff because you've gotten rid of those attachments to make room for God. That definitely sounds like something we as developing saints should be aspiring to.
Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Luke's version is, blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Does that mean we should never be cheerful? Absolutely not. But it does mean that if we want to be saints, we should expect that there will be hardship. If we're too cheerful, then we must be missing the darkness of sin in our lives and those around us. We should never let sin drive us to depression or despondency, where we begin to believe that there is nothing to do. But we should from time to time experience tears of repentance when we bring the light of Christ inside us and it reveals our inner darkness. We must till that dark soil and bring the sunlight of Christ on it so that our souls will grow like spring plants towards that light as we will be comforted by God's forgiveness and bottomless love for us. We will laugh at the darkness because we will see that Christ has conquered it. Blessed are the meek, for they, they shall inherit the earth. This one is one of the four not found in Luke. Meek is a really hard word to, uh, to define, uh, especially from the Greek. But we know that this is exactly parallel to some language in Psalm 37. And the meek will inherit the land, and they will thoroughly enjoy an abundance of peace. So luckily, we also get to have the Hebrew word to help us here. And the word meek is more akin to underdog. Blessed are the underdogs, for they shall inherit the earth. And there's nothing in underdog that says roll over. It merely says that the very people who will inherit the earth are those who appear to lack the social, political, religious, economic, whatever, power to actually bring that to pass. What it's telling us is that our strength is found in what is considered worldly weakness and that we must exercise instead God's strength under his control in order to truly inherit the earth. Reminds me of a scene from the life of St. Moses the Black. You may recall that St. Moses, before he became a monk, was a notorious robber, extremely strong. And one time, four of the robbers of his former band descended upon his monastic cell. He'd lost none of his great physical strength at this point, and he tied them all up. Throwing them over his shoulder, all four of them, he brought them to the monastery, where he asked the elders what to do with them. And the elders ordered that they be set free. The robbers, learning that they had chanced upon their former ringleader, and that he had dealt kindly with them, followed his example. They also repented and became monks. Later, when the rest of the band of robbers heard about the repentance of St. Moses, they also gave up their thievery and became fervent monks, as I described. So here we see this beatitude exhibited in St. Moses' life. His meekness wasn't weakness. He didn't let his former band rob him and beat him up. Instead, he beat them up and brought them to repentance and salvation by turning the strength he had once used for evil into strength for good. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. St. Luke says again, more simply than Matthew, and focused on the physical, blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. We know as Orthodox Christians that our physical and spiritual bodies are intertwined. So does Jesus. He knows the way to a man's heart, is through his stomach. He knows every human hungers, every human thirst. 
So how does he meet us? In the bread and wine of the Eucharist. And we must seek the living water, the bread of life. That is where our true satisfaction will be found. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. That's only found in Matthew. And I think that reflects what we hear, that unless we forgive others, we cannot expect to be forgiven. Forgiveness is one of the most precious forms of mercy that we can receive. But this beatitude tells us that we must first be merciful to, in order that, that we must first be merciful, we must first forgive in order to be forgiven, in order to receive mercy. And if we do, then God will be merciful to us. God will forgive us and God will always provide for our needs. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. We sometimes talk about our mind's eye, but if we hope to see God, we must use our heart's eye. And for that eye to be able to experience God, it must be pure. The more we're like God, that is the purer we are, the more holy, the more saint-like, the more of God we will be able to see. And the more of God we see, the more we can become like him. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We certainly need some peacemakers in our world right now, but why are they called the sons of God? Jesus Christ was the ultimate peacemaker. As we heard last week and again yesterday and now today, Jesus has conquered all. He has achieved the ultimate victory. And what does a victorious king bring after his battle with his enemy? Peace throughout the land. If we are to be peacemakers, it again does not mean that we just avoid conflict. Rather, it means Somewhat, somewhat like the word translated as, we, as meek, that we need to be on the offensive to bring Christ's victory to all areas of our life and those around us. When we are exercising the kingship of Christ, which we participate in, we, possess all, we all possess by virtue of putting on Christ that victory. We also with him will be sons of God, and we will also be peacemakers. And finally, we take the last two together. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Or as Luke puts very similarly, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. We've heard several items in the Beatitudes now that tell us that if we had things too easy, we're rich, laughing, full of food and drink, etc., that we might be in trouble. Too many of us Christians believe that we're entitled to the good life. After all, we see ourselves as doing the right thing. We relish our comfort and come to see our blessings as something we deserve. But Jesus is telling us that if we're too comfortable, it's a clear sign that we're doing something wrong. And as the corresponding woe says in St. Luke, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. I think this last one is important to put in context. It says, woe to you when all people speak well of you. Jesus isn't saying that we have to live a life where everyone we meet reviles us. 
But on the other side, Jesus also isn't saying that everyone should like us. Some Christians live that way, usually through passivity and deference to others, taking the turn the other cheek too far by never getting into a situation where someone wants to punch them in the face. So, we need to take the middle road. We must not only be different, but our difference must be challenging to the world around us. We must challenge them to also be different. If everyone's pleased with what we're saying and doing, it is impossible for us to be speaking the truth. But what is the truth? The Beatitudes make clear that we must hold seemingly conflicting statements in tension. Christianity is a both and faith. We have to both be peacemakers and excluded and reviled at the same time. How can you manage that? And of course, I hope, we all already know the answer. The answer is a firm foundation that we can always come back to as Christians. And that foundation is Jesus Christ. We must stand on that foundation. We must put on Christ so that all we encounter see him. We must let the light of Christ shine through us. When we do, we will conquer the darkness. We will bring peace through that victory over all that is evil. But we will simultaneously be reviled because the darkness of our world makes people believe that the darkness is the light. They don't want to hear that they ever need to weep, to mourn, to suffer hunger or thirst, to think that they need mercy, to show mercy to others, especially those that they think are undeserving. And yet, that's what Christ did when he was here. That's what the saints did. God himself, who did not have to weep or mourn, wept over the tomb of Lazarus. God, who did not need to ever experience physical hunger or thirst, cried out from the cross, I thirst. God, who did not need to show mercy and love to us, his repeatedly disobedient children, did all those things and more so that he could demonstrate the power of underdog meekness. Jesus restored peace to our warring world that by our disobedience in the Garden of Eden and ever since has introduced and perpetuated warring throughout all of nature, raging with storms, earthquakes, men killing their brothers. All of that Jesus has conquered by the meekness of death itself. And that's what we must do as saints. We must overturn the temples to under overturn the tables and the temples of our bodies. We must take what we think has power in us and turn it upside down. If we are physically wealthy, we must let go of it to be spiritually wealthy. If our life is full of joy, we must share it with others and also look around us to mourn with those who are hurting and, and bring that joy to them. If we want mercy, we must be willing to be merciful, even to those that we think deserve it the least. In short, if we want to be saints, we need to take seriously that we have died to this world in our baptism, that we have risen again from those waters, reborn to be little Christs, to put on Christ, 
to be Christ to everyone around us and fill our bodies and souls with living water, with the body and blood of Jesus, so that we will have to no longer hunger, no, neither thirst, for we will have become God by grace. Everything God is by nature. We will have become saints. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.